What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. It's time for the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is the voice of the working class, Rick Smith. And welcome, brothers, sisters, working class heroes. This is the Rick Smith Show. Thanks so much for being here today on the big program. Lots to get to, lots to talk about. I got to tell you, I love the fact that we're in a moment where people are going, oh my gosh, there are too many jobs being created. You know, it kind of reminds me of the Clinton years where people were going, you know, people like Alan Greenspan were going, gee, I wonder what the world is going to look like when we're debt free. Because uh, remember, you know, during the Clinton years, and I got a lot of problems with Bill Clinton, but we were on the path towards a balanced budget. We seemed to have things that were moving in the right direction. In fact, the economic folk, uh, they were they were all all freaked out, didn't know what the country would look like without debt. And we're kind of in one of those moments right now where there's so much activity happening. Factories being built, roads and bridges being repaired. There's construction happening. There's good stuff for the American working class going on right now. And you can thank Joe Biden, the Democrats, and a spattering, a handful of Republicans who voted for the infrastructure package. But we're investing in the country again. Yeah, it's like we care. It's like we want to make it good. It's like we want to we want to fix stuff. And in the process in the process, create the jobs that people are going to need. So every day I'm seeing these stories, you know, manufacturing and construction, hiring at an all-time high. But do we have enough people to fill those jobs? And you kind of get the feeling like, you know, they really want to say the quiet part. You know, we need those immigrants to come in and, and save us. But I'm saying, look, you know, what we need is we need a mass movement of, of training the next generation of workers to pick up the mantle and move this country forward. The numbers are really impressive when you stop and you think about it. You know, in January, for instance, manufacturing added 23,000 manufacturing jobs. That is outstanding in January. Now, the problem is, is December... <laughs> Uh, the industry had over 600,000 job openings for people to take. And these are high-tech, high-skilled manufacturing jobs. These aren't you know, just grunt works. These are jobs where people have to have some skills. And, you know, understand, in the past, employers used to bring people in and train them to do their jobs. What we're also seeing is this push towards, well, what's government doing to, to do this? Well, you know, what, what, are all, what are community colleges doing? You know, what are the, the non-union building trades people doing? You're seeing this messaging all over because they're really trying to get into the into the money. They're trying to dig their claws into the into the bucket of cash that's put aside to help create training programs and apprenticeship programs. And this is the weird thing. This is the weird thing. We've already got a great system. You've got the building trades of this country who have for for generations provided the 
skilled labor that this country has needed to build when we needed to build. And we could lean on them again. And in a big way, and, and understand, it benefit everyone. Uh, I saw this statistic you know, the other day that the, the Manufacturing Institute, they're projecting that there are going to be more than 2 million jobs unfilled in manufacturing by 2030. Um, and they're going, well, you know, because, you know, workers don't, don't pursue manufacturing jobs. Yeah, they do. When the pay is right, and you hear this all the time, we can't get people to do whatever job. And look, fortunately, working people, thanks to social media, have been stepping forward going, no, I wanted the job. I just didn't want it at poverty wages. I saw a video of a, a guy going, went in to get a manager's job, you know, at this facility, and they wanted to pay me 12 bucks an hour. Well, who wants that headache for poverty wages? And for me, there is no better, better job, well, than the high-tech, high-skilled uh, building trades jobs that are being created right now, and, and we desperately need it. So the question, as manufacturing is booming, as construction is booming, what do we do? And I've been saying for a very long time, uh, we need to, to lay heavily on the union model, on the labor union model of, of bringing in apprentices, of training them, and not charging them. This isn't, this isn't a profit motive game. Getting them the skills that they need, the ability to, to produce, and at a high level. You know, when I need something done, and this is just a personal thing, and, and this is, you know, pre-pandemic, since the pandemic, it, it, I, can't, I can get nobody because everybody is working so so much. But I used to call the local building trades unions and say, hey, I need an electrician. Hey, I need a bricklayer. Hey, I need a, a plumber. Hey, I need somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah, you're going to pay a little bit more. And I'd say, hey, you got anybody who, who does this, this kind of work, uh, maybe on the side, maybe whatever. You pay a little bit more, but you know what? Their skill level is so high that it's worth it because it gets done and it gets done right. Which is why, again, I love to bring up the fact that you have the competing sides of the country, the the tale of two bridges, the one in New York City, what used to be the Tappan Zee, is now the Cuomo Bridge, and that monstrosity out in California, uh, the Bay Bridge. That's never going to be done, was ballooned way over budget, and, and well, not done with, well, not done with prevailing wage, not done with project labor agreements not done with you know, unionized labor as much. In fact, if I remember, they brought in Chinese welders at one point because, hey, they were cheap, and you have a bridge you're never going to finish. Whereas on the flip side, you have the Tappan Zee replacement that was done under a project labor agreement with union labor with prevailing wage, done under budget, on time, and complete. And is fabulous, because I've driven over it a number of times, uh, that to me is right there in front of us. We used to understand you get what you pay for. If you train people well, you give them the skills and the, the talents to be able to go out there and do the job, they're going to do it and compensate them in a way that this is their this is their career. This is their pride. And, you know, like I said, I've been seeing a lot of these stories popping up saying, well, you know, we just, you know, we can't, you know, we can't find enough people. And for me, that, that argument completely falls down when you start talking about paying people a decent wage. You know, I think back to my experiences in the, in the LTL trucking industry, you know, back when this was, that was a gold standard job. You never, 
you never had a shortage of people willing to take that job in not great conditions. Now that that job has fallen pretty far economically, they struggle. Uh, they have a hard time, you know, filling, filling still a good job, still good health care, still good retirement, still a reasonable wage, but not like it was. And that has everything to do with the fact that you have lower union density, less bargaining power, and more cutthroat competition from, well, companies that all they, all it's about is the bottom line. So for me, when I'm looking at this moment, there's a great moment of, of, of opportunity here. There is an opportunity to build a working class high skill working class, prosperous working class that for, for the next couple of generations will be what what working people strive to be and do. We, we live, revive, reunite that American dream. Reignite the American dream and what is possible. And it comes back to, very simply in my view, loving what you do, being paid a reasonable wage and having pride in what you do. And for a lot of my, for my building trades friends, they have all those things. So the question becomes, how do we as a country, how do we move that forward? Is it in the, the community college ranks? Is it through these ABC contractors that have a not so great record of, of people completing? Or do we lay heavily on, as I've said, the union model, of, of bringing people in, molding them into the next generation of craftspeople and keeping them active and engaged in those jobs? I think I got the answer. Uh, and when we come back, Keith Ho uh, Hossiver of the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers, uh, he's the International Executive Vice President there, going to be here to share some thoughts. Also, Tony DePerna is going to be here from the International Masonry Training and Education Foundation. I'm going to share some thoughts on you know how, how do we get those bodies into those jobs? How do we get that training out the door and rebuild America? Right back. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work for America. We are AFGE, the American Federation of Government Employees. We represent 700,000 federal and D.C. government workers who are the vital threads of the fabric of American life. We support our nation's military. We take care of our nation's veterans. We protect our nation's borders. We respond to our nation's crises and natural disasters. We provide services to our nation's seniors. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work for America. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So as we've been talking about, the reality is, is that we, there's a, a boom in manufacturing hiring. There's a boom in construction hiring. And it's all because of what the Biden administration and the Democrats and a spattering of Republicans have been able to, to cobble together over the last couple of years. Some major investments in infrastructure, major policy in industrial policy. And all this equates to what? 
equates to jobs. And in fact, you know, last year, construction jobs picked up at a pace of, what they say, 16,000 jobs per day, per month averaged in the month, in the year of 2023. That, that's enormous. And what they're saying is in this, this year, they're going to need another 500,000 workers on top of what is the normal pace of hiring. And that means, well, that means all those dirty jobs we were told when I was a kid were not the future. Those jobs where you get your hands dirty and you do an honest day's labor, them's the future, my friends. And they pay pretty well. And here to share some thoughts on, well, how we should be moving forward and filling those jobs. Who does it better than anybody else? And I'm reaching out to my good friends over at the Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers Union. I've got their international executive vice president, uh, Keith Hosevar, here to talk with us. Also, Tony DePerna is here from the International Masonry Training and Education Foundation. He's their national director for apprenticeships and training. Guys, thanks for taking time for us. Sure, no problem. So good let evening. me start with you, Keith, first, because, you know, the reality is, is uh, we see this boom in hiring. We see a lot going on. We see a lot of, of of activity. Do we have the ability to ramp up to meet the needs of of the workforce of of twenty twenty four and beyond? I I think so. I, I think that um, it's going to be it's going to take training. It's going to take uh, getting people accustomed to the type of work that they're going to be doing. Um, I think that uh, one thing that corporations, small businesses, corporations, even construction companies need to to realize going into the future is that today's workers going to want a few things that they necessarily didn't expect in the past. This now they're expecting decent wages. I think after COVID and and especially construction workers, construction workers were a essential personnel during COVID. So they realized their worth when they were going out and working on some of these buildings. Now you take in a work environment now where you're gonna want uh, equal pay for women. We have, the unions give you that. So we're bringing in a lot of different women, the uh, women that we haven't brought in in the past doing a, a certain trade that they thought was maybe not something for them. We're finding that we're filling needs there. Um, the, job, the job market that currently uh, they're gonna expect wages that are competitive not only wages but health and welfare and pension benefits that are you know competitive because right. you know we, they're worth it no so. no look you know i remember you know being 18 years old trying to get into the building trades myself and at that time you know it was it was really hard to get into i mean uh, there, the competition was was enormous because uh, people understood those were good family sustaining wage jobs. Those were career jobs. Those are the ones that that you 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 retired from and you led a good life. And sadly, societally, we've moved away from from pushing that. Now everyone's got to go to college and take on massive debt. It seems like you guys are back in vogue and a, and a lot of opportunity for young people. Uh, so are you seeing, and, and this is where, you know, I'm looking at the union in particular, are you seeing that, that push that people get it now, like, like my generation did? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you seeing if you, the younger, when we, our average age for apprentice coming in is still 26 to 27. All right. So they're going through a couple of jobs before they get to us. Now we do get younger right out of high school, um, bricklayer, cement, finish and tile layers. But they're usually second or third generation where they're used to watching their mother or their father go to work yeah. and bring the toolbox or the, you know, the lunch pail with them. So 
I mean, I think that um, we're seeing the workers now that come in that are that have tried a few different careers. So I think that once they find out that they get somewhere like us, we're trying to build careers. So it's no longer jobs. We're not trying to fill jobs. We're trying to build careers. And I think they're going to us more and more. Let me turn to you, Tony. Uh, Tony DiPerna, International Masonry Training and Education Foundation, National Director of Apprenticeship and Training. Um, you know, I've been reading a lot of articles here lately talking about the need to, to ramp up education. Community colleges are, are throwing themselves out as the ones that can fill this gap. I know the ABC contractors, uh, the non-union people who, you know, I, I've got problems there. Uh, I know they're saying they're the future, but you guys have been doing this well, for as long as I know and beyond, and do it very well, um, make the case of why why you guys are the are the answer. Well, first of all, we're the longest uh, union in in business, right? So we we were the original um, Masonry Guild uh, way back when. So we're the only one that can claim that. And you know, our motto is "We're the best hands in the business." So there's a reason why we're the best hand in the business. It's because of our training. Uh, we have standardized curriculum. So whether you're in the East Coast or the West Coast or in Canada or anywhere else, you're learning the same skill set that everybody's learning. And we also have, we also bring our instructors in for certification. They do a five-year high-level, college-level certification. And after five years, they get certified. Uh, and they're the best instructors in the country. You that know, really I... sets the tone for our apprentices. Rick, if you came over to, the, to Bowie, our National Training Center right now, we have over 30 pre-job students from all over the country for eight weeks and they keep revolving. We, every week we get we get more uh, and then they go right back to their home locals and go to work. No, and that's, you know, I was gonna bring this up because, you know, I've had a lot of people, you know, ask about these ABC contractors who claim to have an apprenticeship program. And it's been my experience, and this is only my, my narrow world view of what I've seen personally, uh, I see that you know you, they get people coming in, but they never quite finish the program. They never quite get the, the same level of skills. And it seems to me, and you guys maybe have a better opinion of this than I do, but it seems to me that it's just a churn for cheaper labor and to be able to, well, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It seems like a, it, it doesn't seem on, on the up and up to me. No, I've gone round and round with some of the ABC, especially when I was in my in my previous role as principal officer in upstate New York. It's just a scam to pay lower wages to kids into a program and they teach them nothing. When you go to the job fairs and we put our apprentices up against some of the ABC apprentices, it's embarrassing what they're what they're claiming is what they're teaching these kids. It's a sham. Now, Tony, you were just telling me off air a moment ago, you guys came back from Cement Week in Las Vegas. And it's, it blows my mind that there's a Cement Week uh, in Vegas. But you guys did really well. Yeah, we're, World of Concrete. Last year we spoke, Rick. We took seven and nine. This year we took six of nine. So these are from these are apprentices from all over the country, uh, and our apprentices took six out of the nine spots um, for the first, second, and third year. We took we took two from the first years, two from the second, and two from the third. So again, we did very very well out there, and our training shows through. I mean, you know, talking about the next generation, and Keith hit on it. Seventy percent of our apprentices come from secondary or third careers. So the average age is a little older. Yes, we are getting those legacies coming in from high school, but the majority are in dead-end jobs, whether they're working at an Amazon warehouse or serving serving your food at a, at a restaurant or a bartender. And these are the people that are filling the roles right now at a 70% clip for our local, for our international union right now. 
Yeah, I've, I've got n- numerous friends in the building trades. And, you know, they, they do something really annoying. And I'm sure you guys do, too. As someone who doesn't build things, uh, anytime we'll drive somewhere or we'll go somewhere, they have to, they have to educate me about every piece of it, uh, what they did, because look, it's their legacy and I, they're proud of the work they do, but it's, it's, it's quite remarkable that, you know, they, they always have to, Hey, I did that. Hey, I did that. So there's a pride to this job. This isn't just showing up, punching a clock. This is, this is putting your heart and soul into something and rebuilding the country. I mean, there's, there's some, there's some good stuff here. Some good flag waving patriotism in my view. Yeah. yeah and, oh, go ahead, Keith. Oh no. Yeah. And we promote that as well. I mean, we promote the pride. We promote the pride in the industry. We promote our history. We try to promote construction as a noble craft because it is. And and, and when you go through and you look at buildings that are built, skyscrapers, monuments, uh, I mean, you look at some of our restoration projects, you're building, bringing buildings back to life that were built hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And, and I think when you get the right person and you and you put away all the misconceptions about construction, that it really is a great career and we're making it a lucrative career as well. Let me ask you this. You know, there's a lot of money going to be flowing this year, a lot this year, a lot next year. There are a lot of projects going up. Uh, we need it. We desperately need it. And we've needed it for a very long time. Um, you know, I keep coming back to this. You know, we're in a moment where, this is a great opportunity to create good family sustaining jobs. This is a great opportunity to, to have an economy that's prosperous for working people and that reverberates through the local economy. This seems like the right time for us to be doing this. And, and I'll be honest, these jobs seem like the kind of jobs that, that, that we desperately need. Uh, so how do people get involved in it? How do people you know, come around and say, look, I, I want to be a bricklayer. I want to be a carpenter. I want to be you know, one of these folks who's rebuilding this country. Well, really, we recruit all the time. And all you have to do is go to, you know, um, imi.web.org, bacweb.org, or imtepweb.org. All the information is there. You can go to NAP2, which is the National um, um, uh, Building Trades, and they have all this. Every every union is on there for applications and to see where you can go at the local level to join. But getting back to masonry, you know, we're doing a couple. There's, there's three things I want to hit on real quick. One is... AR, augmented reality. We're working with that right now to make bricklaying and block laying sexy again, where you can really do some high quality, um, really um, articulate projects with the AR helmets. We also have the mule, and this really helps some of our some of our members who who are struggle lifting up some of our heavy block. And the mule is a it's a block assisting machine, robotic, uh, and that's really robotics have really kind of etched into the uh, masonry field too. And then to Keith's point, you know. We're, we're very friendly uh, to all, to all, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. And I got to shout out to, you know, some of our leadership to really institute um, the paternity leave that has really helped some of the young women in our trade stay in the trade, get paid while they're home with their child, and they're able to come back and not lose any of their benefits. So that was a big boost about a year or two years ago. Uh, we, we, um, that came into play for the bricklayers and that really, really is cha- as a game changer for the BAC women. Now I'm glad you brought all that up because, you know, back, uh, you know, two years ago, I guess, 2022, uh, the, the AFL CIO convention in Philadelphia, I was able to, to see your, your display and, and to be able to play with that mule thing, which is 
I may have become a bricklayer because uh, <laughs> if they had one of those back then. Uh, but, you know, the kind of technology and I, I want I want you guys to hit on this for a second, the kind of technology that's out there and and pushing back against the. Um, you know, the narrative that unions are Luddites and that they, they don't want to embrace technology. Uh, you guys are you guys are blowing the doors off that. Yeah, well, we're trying to save our bodies. <laughs> There's even they're even contract. They're, they're even they make even harnesses now that help you uh, grind over your head for long periods of time. It keeps the weight of that machine and it kind of pushes up on your elbows and it helps you grind over your head. So we're not only giving we're not only offering health insurance to help our people recuperate from any injuries they do have over long careers but we're actually trying to bring in and 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 foster technology and bring in technology and help it make us more competitive make us quicker make us more efficient because when it's all said and done we expect premium quality work out of our members no matter what so no matter what anybody can say about us, I want to get yeah. your thoughts on that, Tony. Yeah, and and Keith hit it right on it right on the nose there. The exoskeleton is not going away. We see more and more coming out. Keith and I were in Vegas last week, and we saw some of the new models. To his point, whether you're a PCC um, uh, mason or new build mason, whether you're laying block or grinding, all this all this exoskeleton stuff really is really what it's really doing is a, a few things making the health of our members healthier, less injuries, and bringing down the premiums for the contractors for, for some of the some of the injuries on the job. So, I mean, it's it's a whirlwind of change, uh, and we're embracing it, and uh, we're looking forward to it. And uh, hopefully next time I'm on, I'll show you a little AR and a little augmented reality of what we're doing with that, too. I would love to see that. And when you say exoskeleton, you mean the human body. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's, it's, actually, it's actually putting on a contraption that actually helps you with some of the weight of what you're doing. So like to Keith's point, when you're grinding, you're grinding for eight hours like this, it's a drag on your shoulders, really. But now with the, with the new equipment, you, you're you actually, it's taking the, the majority of that weight off your shoulders. So you're seeing less of those injuries. And on a Friday afternoon, the craft workers just as fresh as when they were Monday morning, that's where it really comes into play. And longevity, I can't tell you how many of the old timers we run into that retired when they were six years old that they want, they wish that mule was around when they were young, uh, so they didn't have to lift those heavy block over all that rebar in a prison or school. Um, so that's where it's really paying dividends. Yeah, and these, you know, ultimately, just to kind of wrap this up for everyone, these are jobs that are not going to go away. They're not going to be outsourced. Uh, they're yeah. not going to be completely replaced by robotics. Uh, and with the, and this is where the, having a union is the great part of this. Uh, with the productivity gains, with the being more productive and all of that, uh, and the the better efficiencies that come from this, you're, you're talking about better wages and conditions and and and, and you know, retirement and health security and all of those things being shared with the workforce. So these are those family sustaining wage jobs uh, that we so want, right? Oh, definitely, definitely, absolutely, and, exactly. Guys, and don't forget uh, Rick, the, the safety issue. Year and year, year every year we look at the, our safety issues, and we way outperform our ABC and non-union sectors. Um, we want every member to go home the same way they went to work every there, day. There you go, guys. I appreciate you taking some time for us. Uh, Keith Hossifer, International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers, International Executive Vice President. You can check out their website, bacweb.org. Also, Tony DePerna, the International Masonry Training and Education Foundation's National Director of Apprenticeship and Training. You can check their stuff out at IMT. 
tef.org. We'll get links out on social media so you can take a look at that. Guys, thanks so much. Keep up the great work, and I hope you come back and share with us down the road. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Want to hear your thoughts? Email me, Rick, at thericksmithshow.com. What do you think? Is this is this the way forward, how we rebuild America, rebuild that prosperous working class of yesteryear? I think so. For our Free Speech TV folks, thanks so much for being here. We'll see you back here next time. For our radio affiliates across the country, quick break. Right back. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You're listening to The Rick Smith Show, where working people come to talk. So on Thursday, the president was exonerated, and interestingly enough, um, little little tidbits in the uh, the hundreds of pages of of why they didn't indict uh, the president over classified documents. Uh, part of it say, saying that he's, he's he's an old guy, he's an affable old guy that you know the jury might sympathize with, which you know the the right jumped all over because that's been their real argument. You know he's you know he's he's not competent. Never mind all the good stuff that he's done, the infrastructure bill, the the Chips Act, all of the industrial policy, the economy that is steaming right along. No, no, can't run on that. So let's let's go after, um, you know he's he's old. And I, I found it hysterical that Tommy Tuberville, the dumbest guy in the U.S. Senate, uh, was on TV and asked you know, who he was going to back, who he thought was going to win in the Super Bowl. Couldn't remember one of the teams. Now, football coach should know this, his world. The only thing he does know. And he can't, couldn't remember. And I find it hysterical. The old guy beating up on the old guy for not being able to remember something. Wow. Look where we are. Anyway, here to share some thoughts on just how crazy... This all has become and where we're going, where we've been, and some of the top stories of the day. I've asked our good friend Sarah Burris to come talk with us. Sarah's a reporter over at Raw Story, rawstory.com, if you want to check out the amazing work that she does. Sarah, thanks for taking time for us. Hey, how are you? So what do you make of Tommy Tuberville, the dumbest guy in the U.S. Senate, uh, and his, his, you know, his, his brain moment? Look, you know, as you look, I forget things all the time, but I'm not out there going, see, look, Joe Biden's incompetent. He can't remember anything. And then, well, not remember something. Yeah. And and the thing is, is like, if you're, if your one job has been football, I feel like you should know the football. 
you know, like, and the thing is, is like the right has spent the last, what, two, three weeks now talking about Taylor Swift and the Kansas city chiefs and Travis Kelsey. And I mean, I'm admittedly, I am a chiefs fan, but I went to the university of Kansas. So I'm a Royals chiefs Jayhawk. Like it's across the board. Right. But yeah, I feel like my favorite part of this is watching right-wing Republicans now supporting a San Francisco team because of the Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I had not even thought of that. <laughs> right? Yeah, right? No. But here's the thing. This is the thing that gets me. I thought all those people left football. I thought after, you know, uh, Kaepernick kneeled and they played the Black National Anthem and all of the other crises uh, that they've created and conspiracy theories, I thought they were all gone. Why are they still paying attention to this this game that they claim to hate so much because it's, it's woke? You know, I who the hell knows? These people are, it, they're so desperate for outrage, you know, that it, I, maybe they hate watch it at this point. Uh, it's it blows my mind it really blows my mind um i am not a football person but you know maybe taylor swift just made me one no look and i look i don't know any of her songs if you put a gun to my head i couldn't name one of them but um i think she's a quality person i think she does really good stuff she treats her workers really well she treats people really well and you know i've been seeing these memes all over social media uh, you know, saying, you know, we need more uh, Habiba or whatever, Elena Hababa or whatever her name is, uh, the, the the loser Trump lawyer. Uh, we need more her and less Taylor Swift. And I'm going, I don't know. Uh, I think I think Taylor Swift's a good person. I think she's a decent human being. I don't know about the other one. Elena Haba. Okay, she, there you go. She has a very hard time in court um, and, and clearly just bombed in the E. Jean Carroll case. Yeah, it was she's not going to so get paid bad. either. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is she's raked in something like $2.5 million and it's like, hon, you realize that's the last, you know, check that you got. Like, good for you for getting the check up front, but that's the last one you're going to get for ever. Sorry. Because Trump only hires the best lawyers. All the best people. And I don't know if you also noticed, but he also has all the best words. That's the other thing he says. But so. here, this is the weird part of this, though. I mean, all day Thursday, all I kept hearing was, you know, Joe Biden's old. He can't remember anything. And look, the guy's got some struggles. I'm going to be the first to admit that. Uh, but so does the other guy. Have you listened to Trump speak? Have you heard him, him rattle on and go off into weird spaces. Who knows how he got there? I mean, th that guy's struggling too. And here's the thing. I don't think that, I feel like this report, like I read through this report and it is, it is so much partisan hackery. Like this dude is a Republican who was appointed by Donald Trump, right? Like the, the special counsel is so, is just as partisan as anybody else who worked for the Donald Trump White House. And he was the last holdover that was there. And they were like, God, we need somebody who, you know, is not one of our own people because it's going to look bad. And so they put this Yahoo in and even he couldn't indict Joe Biden. So he had to come up with something that would make Donald Trump happy. And what he did was he turned in all of the times that Joe Biden said, I don't recall. And that's the thing that the, your lawyer is going to tell you to do is 
time after time after time just say i don't recall it's the reagan defense donald, right if you read donald trump's testimony for every single case that he's ever done if you look remember the take-home test that he had for the <laughs> Mueller investigation yes. where basically they gave him all the questions and he handed it to his lawyer i don't recall is the majority of the things that he said on there if you look at uh jared kushner ivanka trump like all of these people who spoke to the january 6th committee their major answers that they say over and over again, I don't recall. Yeah, no, look, if and you so, were to ask me those questions, I'd have told you that too. Because if you if you recall something incorrectly, um, that's how you get yourself into trouble. Right. And the thing is, is like you're I mean, you're obviously gonna protect yourself in that respect. And then if he's having conversations where I mean, I think one of their conversations was after right after the uh the um kidnappings in israel and all of that happened so i think it was on the 8th and the attack was on the 7th and i mean obviously there's a there's a time change difference here so biden's like up all night and then goes into this deposition with this dude i mean come on right come on yeah and you can read through a lot of his questions the questions and answers and it see it doesn't read like he doesn't know what he's talking about. It, I mean, it really just sort of reads like, you know, he's saying, you know, oh, we got to do this. We got to do that. Like he's rattling off a lot of things that he's, you know, that he's trying to remember. And um, and you can tell that he's talking about like a hundred different things at once. And um, but yeah, like my my favorite analysis on that thing is Marcy Wheeler, who does Empty Wheel. She's a national security analyst. She's brilliant, like one of the most brilliant people that I consistently read. And she went through line by line on this report. And my favorite thing ever is that this guy wrote 380 pages where he basically focused on an, what he called an eight word utterance where Biden made some comment and that's what he basically investigated. And so Marcy Wheeler, he never says what the utterance is. I mean, there's a bunch of different utterances that he bolds throughout the course of the of the um, report. And if you look at what those are, they're all like seven word statements. And so then everybody's like, wait a minute, how many words? So then then like she's going through all this stuff and she found a, a, a footnote that was just completely made up. It doesn't even match what it's what um, it's claiming to be a footnote from. And um, that's one of the things that Biden's lawyer keyed in on where he was just like, this is this statement isn't true. Like, this is absolutely not what happened. This is absolutely not what we said. And um, and then you look down at the footnote and the footnotes completely invented. Wow. And so like this whole thing is starting to seem like maybe somebody needs to go through and 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 check it like double like typos like come on man again like, the very on. best this people is... the very best people right like, like that's the thing like this is let maybe let elena haba do it next time <laughs> but here's where my mind went you know when I, as i was reading through the stories and 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 look i didn't read the 380 pages you know i read the highlights um i think like most other people in this moment because you knew it was going to be a hatchet job uh, where right. is, uh, you know, Scott Perry and the Freedom Caucus? Where are the weaponization people? Because this looks like it was something that shouldn't have been included in there. Look, if you're going to indict him, indict him. If you're not, you say, look, we don't have the evidence. But don't create out of whole cloth yeah. your opinion in a legal argument. And this is my problem with where we are. 
that a lot of the that this legal document, a legal document, is is filled with opinion. That's the thing is it's just it is nonstop political rants in this thing. And that's why I think folks are are just completely um you know, discrediting everything about it because it's like this is so obvious what you're trying to do here, where you you have nothing. You're trying so to you convict to... him without convicting him, and you're right. playing you're into the narrative that oh well, we we couldn't indict him anyway because people would feel sorry for him because he's just such a nice, affable old man, and and you go no no if he committed a crime, um you you lock him up. And there's a then huge difference. Him. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, they're also using this as a justification to go, well, you know, Donald Trump did the exact same thing and you're indicting him. No, not even close to the same thing. Not even close. And I think that's the major thing that the major reason that they couldn't indict him. Right. Is that they uh, so Donald Trump stole these documents. He wouldn't give them back. He wouldn't give them back for like a year. Um, finally, somebody at the the uh, archives was like, look, we're going to have to reach out to the Justice Department. And Trump's lawyers was like, fine, do it. So they reach out to the FBI and the, and the DOJ. The DOJ tries to work with them. They still won't work with them. But finally, they have to get a subpoena. He ignores the subpoena. I mean, this has been going on. This was going on for what? A year and a half. Yeah, and then went on TV finally... to make the defense that it, they're his. He, he should be able his. to keep them. No, you don't get to come out and say no. I'm going. I'm stealing these documents because I believe that I'm I'm justified in having them. No, no, you you give them back. And Biden basically went, "Oh crap! Do we have stuff? <laughs> Can somebody go look if we have some stuff?" And yep. somebody's like, "You have stuff," and he's like, "Crap! We need to give this back. We need to tell people about it." You know, and then it was just nothing but cooperation ever since then. And yeah. so I think what is I mean, if you're if you're really thinking that Biden deserves to be thrown in the clink for this, then by golly, Mike Pence does, too. Because it's the exact same thing with Mike Pence. Yeah, for me, it's that overt act of of defiance. I have it. It's mine. You can't have it. That. Yeah. You know, that's that's the that's the key point. All of the other stuff, look, all of the presidents of the past, all of these people have got stuff uh, that, you know, up, up, we have it here, give it back. You know, okay. You know, and and the, the, the past practice has always been, you know, we'll take our stuff back, let sleeping dogs lie. Trump was the first guy to go, no, screw you, mine, mine. Yeah. And I think, too, a lot of the, the stuff with Biden are um, like note cards, like he wrote his own notes. And so then there becomes this legal question of what happens if you're no longer president and you wrote something down that you knew that was classified, but it's not on any of the documents that you have. It's just a note that you took after you were no longer president. Like, where is oh. the there's no laws with a lot of this. Oh, man, stuff. you had to bring up note cards, didn't you? I know. Sorry. There's a huge conspiracy on note cards. Biden can't do anything without note cards. Uh, look, I've got lists of stuff that I I have every day because you know I I'm not nowhere I'm not anywhere near as old as Biden, but there are things that I forget. I like to have notes. I like to have some some talking some things in my hand to go. Oh yeah, I should do that. I should say that. I should I should think about this. Uh, but the note cards, man, that's a whole conspiracy of it and of itself. Yeah, and I think for people who, you know, operate off of their phones all of the time. 
you know, who, who have the notes section in their phone, they have a calendar in their phone, they've got all their contacts in their phone. I think it's a different thing for a generation of people who are using technology for all of this stuff versus, you know, the guy who grew up with note cards who just keeps using, you know, like I'm going to write myself some notes and stick them in my pocket because it's small and it goes in my pocket. Yeah. The guy who actually remembers his parents' phone number and doesn't have to check it up in the contacts of his phone. Right. <laughs> uh, not that his parents are still around. I'm not making that argument, but probably still remembers his boyhood uh, home phone number. Uh, good luck asking my kids what our home phone number is most of the time. Uh, it just is what it is. But uh, look, you know, at the end of this, uh, this is a big conspiracy theory uh, that the right has just jumped all over. And I wonder how much damage this will do or if it's just playing into more of the narrative. You know, Joe Biden's old. You know, I wonder, too, because so much of the narrative is he's old and they've been trying to hammer this for so long that I think I mean, I just don't know that you can go any further with it. You know, like I, I don't know that people can come up with anything else that folks haven't already heard where they're like, yeah, we get it. He's old. Yeah. And I, I mean, one of the things that, uh, I think it was Katie Turr on MSNBC, who is not a bastion of liberalism by any means goes, I gotta tell you, I've seen Donald Trump and he is different. He is completely different than he was eight years ago. And I was like, finally, somebody's he, saying it. He's different. All right. <laughs> well, he's definitely different, but he's, di he's a different person. I got to get your thoughts on the, on the sharpness. I got to get your thoughts on the epic failure this week uh, by the House to move on, um, you know, impeaching uh, Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas, uh, shooting down uh, the uh, the border bill, which is interesting to me because they're impeaching Mayorkas and help me here if I'm wrong, uh, because he's not harsh enough on the immigrants, on the people coming across the border. Uh, he's he's not he's not doing. Uh, doing a, a hard enough job, um, but they had what was basically their wish list of things in a bill to crack down on the border, uh, and they voted against it. So I'm, I'm it's, a, it's a weird spot, uh, but epic failures all the way around, and more messaging of Republicans have no idea how to govern. Uh, they should not be allowed near the ability to govern, and maybe come November start throwing the bums out because they're telling us to our face they're not doing the job. They're not going to do anything to make our lives better. They're going to do nothing. Here's the thing. if they've, they've spent, what, how many years talking about how bad the border is? This is the worst thing that's ever happened to the country ever. And yet when given the opportunity to do something, they do nothing. Even a messaging bill, Sarah, even if they came out with, we want, we want to build a 4,000-foot wall that goes a million feet underground, electrify it, put chicken wire all over it, have you know, you know bees, nests all over it. I mean, come up with your, your dream, wet dream list of, of horrible and put that out Remote. as a messaging bill because you control the house. They haven't even done that. And that's the other thing, too, is one of the things in this bill was money for the stupid wall i mean they had this this bill was a was like you know a sex dream for these people it was everything that they wanted and if they don't take back power they will never get a, a sweet deal like this ever again no this is, a, and, this is a perfect example of what i've been saying the issue is more important than the solution 
They have yes. to because they've got nothing else. They've got no vision. They've got no policy. Look, they don't even have a platform to run on. Uh, so, you know, this they they learned from the abortion issue. Uh, they got what they wanted there and it's biting them in the behind. They certainly don't want to end up eating the immigration thing by actually doing their freaking job. So they know what they're doing. Uh, they, they know that, hey, as long as it's bad, we can keep blaming Biden. I mean, I think that they are going to try and keep blaming Biden. But the problem is, is he can come back every single time and be like, we tried to give you a solution and you said no. Yeah. So don't blame me. I mean, they they gave they gave Democrats a gift. And if Democrats were smart, then, you know, they'd be using it to document <laughs> like it's been this many days since we could have fixed this problem. Right. If like Democrats if, were smart. Right. If they could message worth a damn. No, I mean, that's that's the answer right there. I mean, at the end of the day, we we, we gave you what you wanted. And you couldn't Everything. get the yes. Everything. And then to make matters worse, they go after James Lankford, who's like so far right. He can't even see the left from his backyard. I was going to ask you, you know? about that because, you know, he came out and he, he said something that that caught my attention. You know, he said, look, you know, I had a popular, you know, commentator and i you know it's got to be over at the f channel it's probably the, yep. the the little smarmy little um anyway uh you you know that that that's how this game is played and this is why i know that the republican party is dead uh to to actual people it's controlled by a handful of 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 influencers and media figures and idiot politicians who if they don't get their way they don't get their pound of flesh screw everybody and langford i i got to i got to wonder how much crazier can you get than James Lankford uh, when the Oklahoma Republican Party censures him for doing his job? That's the part yeah. that blows my mind. And get this. I mean, not only did he come out and say this whole thing about the, the um, you know, somebody at the in conservative media coming after him. Um, I think it was yesterday, either yesterday or the day before. I got a robocall because I have a 405 area code phone number which is oklahoma and i got a robocall from james langford begging me to come and participate in his town hall the next day to talk about this issue so he freaked out enough where he was like we're going to spend a ton of money and contact everybody in the state and tell them to come and talk about this so they can hear my side of the of the whole thing like, look, that's how bad stuff must be for yeah. him that he's panicking that much. No, look, because my mind goes into this weird place. Uh, if, if James Lankford is not crazy enough, if he's not extreme enough on the political right, where does the party then go? How much worse does it get? I mean, I don't know. I don't know where you go from there. I can't, I can't even, I mean, it's it's got to be that, are we going to start calling Matt Gates the liberal? That's just... Come on. Come on. Uh, finally, I got to get your thoughts on Sunday. What Sunday? <laughs> there's there's a, the, the Taylor Swift Bowl. Uh, you know, Taylor the Swift's going Swift to save the country by getting Joe Biden elected. Haven't you been paying attention? It's, it's Super Bowl 58. Uh, five plus eight equals 13. The name of her album, evidently. It's all right there. So this, the psych op thing I had heard about, the number thing was like a whole new thing I'd never heard of. That is like, that is, that is next level. That's next level rabbit hole. 
that is the kind of conspiracy theory where I make up that conspiracy theory to make fun of people who make conspiracy <laughs> theory. So it's like you are just playing into my mockery when you make stuff up like this. What and that I love is, though, that is bad. I love hearing people who say how dysfunctional the government is and how the government can't do anything and and how it's all broken and they're all idiots and no one knows what they're doing. But then they come up with these Rube Goldberg intricate schemes of of conspiracy that the CIA thought, you know, 30 years ago to, you know, create Taylor Swift into a, a mega pop star, give her a billion dollars and millions of fans and for this one moment to to date a football player that was going to be in the Super Bowl to get Joe Biden elected. It's madness, but sadly, a lot of people are buying it. And that's the thing, right, is you've got people who are talking about Joe Biden being this doddering old fool, yet at the same time, he's this criminal mastermind. And I'm just <laughs> like, guys, again, you got to go with one or the other here. Yeah. Like, you're just not... Pick a team. You can't do... You can't pick both. Yeah, pick a team. You can't be on all sides of every issue. Uh, very... But please feel free to root for San Francisco if you... You decide you don't like Kansas City. Yeah, there see there's a problem for the the far right. You know, San Francisco yeah. stands for everything that they despise. And and you know, but you know, the CIA evidently in Taylor Swift, you know, they want Kansas City. I don't know. I know, right? <laughs> How do you pick? How do you pick? How do you pick? Uh or maybe you just you just don't. You don't pay attention. I wish they would just The puppy go away. bowl. Just go. Just away. watch the puppy bowl. There you go. Sarah, as always, great stuff. Appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Have an awesome week. You as well. Our good friend, Sarah Burris. Want to hear your thoughts? Email me, Rick at the Rick Smith Show.com. We're going to take a quick break. Right back to wrap things up. Stick around. This is the Rick Smith Show. We're working people. Come to talk. Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1974. That was the day that a three-man American astronaut crew returned to Earth from an 84-day mission at the Skylab. They were the first crew to spend so long in low Earth orbit up until that time. The crew also returned with a different kind of first. They had launched the first space strike in history. The all-rookie crew was scheduled for an arduous work schedule at the space station. When one member fell ill, they began to fall behind schedule on their long list of tasks. From the ground, NASA Mission Control urged them to catch up by working through meals and scheduled rest times. Tensions mounted as the three men were monitored at every moment. The commander of the trip tried to explain the crew's exhaustion, saying, On the ground, I don't think we would be expected to work 16 hours a day for 85 days. And so I really don't see why we should even try to do it up here. Six weeks into the trip, the Skylab 4 crew had had enough. They turned off the communication radio connecting them to Earth. They took an unscheduled day off. When the communication link came back on, the commander issued the group's demands, saying, We need more time to rest. We need a schedule that's not so packed. We don't want to exercise after a meal. We need to get things under control. NASA agreed to stop pushing so hard. The first space strike was over, and the mission went forward on better terms. 
ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. Take your protein. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com. Welcome back to the Rick Smith Show. Now, here is Rick Smith. So, real quick, you know, to finish up today's program, I, I got to tell you, I got an email from Larry Kudlow. And I remember Kudlow came out the other day and said, you know, we had a blockbuster jobs report. The economy's doing well. You know, not every economic stat should be looked at through a political lens. Things are doing well. Yet, I get this email saying the economy's in a shamble and it's all Joe Biden's fault. And I'm going, you know, again, you know, which side of of this do you find yourself? At what point do you go, um, hey, maybe, maybe pick a, maybe pick a side, maybe pick something that's going to go, well, the economy is 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 okay, uh, you know, maybe I don't know. It's it's really, it's really quite remarkable where we are in this country. Uh, it just blows my mind that you can be on every side of every issue, uh, but hopefully Sunday. Uh, so hopefully the Sunday, the big game, uh, am I allowed to say Super Bowl? Uh, they patent all that or are copyrighted. Uh, but I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping Taylor Swift wins. I don't care if either team wins. I'm hoping Taylor Swift wins. Just to see my MAGA hat, red hat folks lose their mind and maybe go away for good then. Just my thoughts. Want to hear yours? Email me, Rick, at thericksmithshow.com. Miss any portion of the program, grab the podcast. Wherever you get your favorite podcast, you'll find ours. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see you back here next time. You've been listening to The Rick Smith Show. Email Rick, Email Rick. at rick at Show.com. Until next time, this has been The Rick Smith Show, where working people come to talk. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.